0: This episode of ArcaSpeak is sponsored by our cat. So, we're all pretty busy, and sometimes we feel like we could use another hand to help out. Well, would you like someone to help you draw CAD details for you? How about create BIM objects for you? I know Cormac would like that, actually. Or maybe, actually, I think he'd like this better. Write specifications for you. How about yeah, both? What's that? Both of those work? Yep. All right. Or <laughs>
1: Are you I don't want to do spec- the boring spec- stuff. Who Are can do saying- the boring
0: stuff for me? <laughs> right, fair enough. Well, how about if this quote-unquote assistance, there's the air quotes again, uh, work really well on a podcast, could do all of this stuff for you for free? Well, let me tell you, RCAT is your answer. RCAT has already done all of this work for you. Doesn't that sound great? I like that idea. I love it. All right. So, hey, you know what? Go and search the RCAT libraries. You can find BIM. CAD, specs, does anybody use CAD anymore? Catalogs, videos, and more. All of this content is created for you, free of charge, no registration required. Where do I find it? You know what? You can go find that at rcat.com, but let me finish reading the rest of the ad. rcat.com? rcat.com. Nice. A-R-C-A-T.com. That's easy. Do you always go to a site and they make you register for content? Yes. Hasn't that happened to you? Absolutely. I hate that. You know what? If you go to rcat.com, you can find all you need, no registration required. So, look, RCAT has created this website devoted to all of us, the building professionals. Is that what we call ourselves? Me? Even me? Solidarity. Not, except Cormac. Oh. Not not actually for oh. Cormac. Ugh, you can find all this building product information fast and hassle-free. And where's that website again, uh, Evan? RCAT.com. There you
1: go. Sorry. dot com. <laughs> 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 hey hey you know that uh, there's this show coming up it seems to be the buzz on the internets in, in our circles it's called construct they actually sponsored our last episode so i'm here looking constructshow.com website at the floor plan and you know who's right at the entrance of this show floor our cat i'll give you i'll give you one guess Oh, i spoiled it our cat right there very first show. So they didn't tell us to say this, but booth what is it? Eight hundred three construct seventeen. RCAT, the big red A right at the front door as usual. They are they are the 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 Walmart greeters of the construct show, <laughs> and they're sponsoring this episode of Arcus Speak, and That's we right. thank them very much.
0: So go visit them.
1: Go go see uh, Bill and Casey at the at the Arcat booth at Construct. And speaking of Construct,
0: we're also sponsored by Hager Companies, and they're going to be at Construct at booth 907, and they're going to be highlighting their new Hager-powered Salto access control line. So Construct, September 14th and 15th in Providence, Rhode Island. Visit Hager at 907 booth, that is.
2: Hey, oh, Hey, uh, you know what else? What's that? I heard if you go by their booth at 907... Drop your business card off in the fishbowl. Make sure you write that you heard to go to their uh, booth. An Beat episode one twenty three. You get a chance to win a two hundred. wait, wait, wait. wait two hundred dollar uh, Amazon gift card. Well, I'm going to be there. <laughs> Can you? You could probably drive there, right? Guess who's
1: driving to Rhode Island? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know we've got a project in Rhode Island. I'm going to go there. I'm going to drop up like. I've got three boxes of extra business cards. I'm going to drop them in
1: there. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to be Arcuspeak business cards. So, so you're telling me that if I drop my business card in their fishbowl and it says Arcuspeak episode 123 on it, I could win $200 Amazon gift card? Yeah. That's right. Free money
2: for mentioning that you heard to visit their booth 907 and you write on your business card, Arcuspeak episode 123, you're entered in to win some free dough okay wait a minute what was this booth again i believe could be wrong <laughs> 907 booth 907
0: yeah who is 907 again hager companies and they're sponsoring this episode of arca speak
2: you're standing at the booth right now that's <laughs> right
0: and listening to this and saying we want to thank hager companies for sponsoring arca speak and giving me a chance to win 200 dollars. thanks hager thank you that's cool don't we have one more sponsor We do, and that sponsor is HMC Architects. Well, let's hear what HMC has to say this time.
1: When visiting a college for the first time, prospective students know within 13 seconds if it's a match. So understanding their needs is a crucial part of our design process.
2: Hi, I'm James Sink. And I'm Jonathan Orr. We're higher education designers at HMC Architects. We spend a lot of time thinking about how students experience the spaces we design. And with today's cultural shifts, it's important to consider that experience in new ways. Ones that value and promote social connectivity, equality, and inclusion. We're currently transforming Cal Poly Pomona's 61-year-old campus into a cosmopolitan community with the construction of new modern living student housing.
1: From relaxing living rooms and communal stairway lounges to a contemporary dining hall, the finished campus will offer shared amenities and flexibility.
3: We've
2: reimagined the traditional bathroom model in favor of gender-inclusive restrooms for increased self-esteem, comfort, and safety. And we're creating community, connection, and adaptability with an intimate environment where students can interact and make lifelong connections.
1: At HMC Architects, we believe that progressing to meet students' needs will not only benefit their academic and personal experiences, but also shape their world and enrich their lives. To learn more or to become part of our story, visit HMCArchitects.com. Welcome to Archispeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture.
0: Welcome to episode 123 of the Arcuspeak Podcast. I'm Neil Pan.
1: I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. Hey, this episode, we just wanted to start off real quick and thank NCARB for including Arcuspeak Podcast as one of their 13 best podcasts for architects. We noticed that that happened, I think, in the last month or so. And we have a lot of great company on their list. So head on over. We'll put the link in the show notes so you can see everybody who's included they've definitely upped their game since the, the last time they published this list. They've, I don't know, they've added uh, five more shows to the list, which is cool to see the, the list is growing for as far as uh, research or sorry, as far as uh, just different players out there in the podcasting world for architecture. So a lot of good resources, a lot of good shows, and we're just happy to be a part of it. So thanks and Yeah, for That's that. really
0: cool. Actually. I like that. I think the last time they did this, at least that we were aware, was like, 3 years ago, 2014?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's been a while. So, five more shows in 4 years. Yeah. That's pretty good. How I found out about it was somebody like put the link on my
2: Facebook account and they were like, "Hey, you're famous." I'm like, "Hey, I didn't even know about this." But cool, thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think all of us got messaged about it yeah. from somebody else. Not not even each right. other. Exactly. <laughs> Cuz none of the, none of us knew about it.
0: <laughs> well, what was interesting was I heard about it, like you said, right after the article was published. And then what, did you guys not experience this too? I think there was like a, an email blast that went out maybe a week or so back in, in, in like maybe mid to late August, because I got text yeah. from like two of my friends going, Hey, congratulations, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Oh, that wasn't that like a month. I had to go double check. I'm like, did they re, did they do a new one or something? 'Cause I was like that that yeah, great, thank you. That happened like a, a month and a half ago. And they're like, No, no, we just found out through this email. So I don't know. That that was really
1: cool.
2: I never knew about it even then. I didn't know about it a month ago.
1: <laughs> What's good for NCARB is people are clicking on the links yes. in their email. So keep up those emails, NCARB. <laughs> and they specifically uh in in their blog post here, uh they specifically mention episodes thirty six and ninety seven Licensure at graduation was thirty six and how to survive architecture school was ninety seven so that was also kind of cool that they particularly uh, just you know they were, they talked about those those episodes as far as being resources for people who are going through licensure things yeah, like and that.
0: we should probably apologize for the poor audio quality in those early episodes <laughs> who knows yeah,
2: I think we were actually better than that it was. It was the early, hope so. early ones that I think might have actually even
1: dropped off iTunes that were painful. Because that was year two. <laughs> yeah, episodes, uh, I think any, anything back beyond 100 right. doesn't show up in the iTunes feed, but you can get to them through the yeah, website. that's true. Was, you don't I mean, have we, to, We though. should... <laughs> but yeah, you don't have to.
0: <laughs> we should No obligation. clear. All the episodes are available on the website at com, but... In iTunes, for some reason, after 100 episodes, everything passed 100. So you probably couldn't go back to like episode 20 right now on iTunes. Right. But you can find it though on our our site. So you can listen to it
2: that way. Or Neil, if you do the math, I'm thinking that since this is 123, we're episode 23 won't be hurt.
0: Very likely. (laughs) Hey, good math. (laughs) Math is hard. (laughs) My my daughter can attest to that. <laughs> She's in fifth grade. Math
1: is hard. All right, so I was thinking we could talk a little bit. Well, a couple things. First one was that thanks to LinkedIn. I mean, how would we know how long we've worked somewhere if we didn't have LinkedIn? LinkedIn reminding us and all the people giving us congratulations and like like you said, Cormac, the participation trophy of uh the modern era here is is LinkedIn reminders. But 10 years, I've been at HMC now, and I thought it was... It just made me kind of reflect a little bit on what is 10 years like in the profession of architecture, because just like everything else, we kind of just get caught up in the day-to-day or the the latest project or whatever. And so it was just kind of neat to go back and think about what's happened over the last 10 years. And I don't want to get too deep into it, but I did pull up the list of projects. Dell Tech is good Mm -hmm. at one thing, at least. And uh, I I could actually look pull up a list of all the projects that I've worked on, and then I actually went through it and deleted out all the lines that were things that I was listed on but didn't yeah. work on or participated in minimally because I don't I don't think that counts. So it came up it was between sixty and seventy, wow. like right right in there, probably around sixty five projects in the last ten years that I've had a, a decent part in. Obviously, none of them are sole sourced, but.
2: That's pretty yeah, amazing.
1: It's kind of kind of a that's a lot, right? I I I didn't know what that number was going to be. I had no idea, and I don't I don't really think about it on a normal day to day basis. But that that's a lot of projects to be that, think
2: about. The we built a lot ten years ago. What was going on? I mean, we were we were entering yep. into the recession, and a lot of people were lucky to have jobs, lucky to have projects to work on. We were. Let's see. So, ten years, oh uh, seven. Do, we, the or know, do the math, I know. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. You know, I got into architecture, so I didn't have to do math. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it was my last year in Florida. Things were getting. We were starting to sweat things because I, I know, you know, probably with you because you were working with developers and stuff like that. I don't. I'm just assuming we we were feeling it a year. I mean, because everybody's like, oh, 08, 08, 08. We felt it in 07. Mm -hmm. You know, we were... Mm. Because we worked with some developers who were trying to get things off the ground and stuff like that, and it it sounded great. It was some awesome pie-in-the-sky stuff. Still to this day has never happened, but we started feeling it then. And then really, like, at the end of 07, we were just sweating bullets, hoping that we had one commercial project. It was just me and my buddy that when we were working on our own and we had one commercial project that basically floated us for just a little while longer until it was to the point where we look at the account and are like, um, $14, what do we do? And so to wow. think about it, how many projects was that that you've worked on since? About 65. 65. That's amazing. And it also shows kind of like what the turnaround's been since us unburying ourselves from the 08 misfortunes.
1: Yeah. It's funny. We just pinned up our entire uh, kind of SOQ on the wall for our higher ed practice. So every project that we basically include as our statement of qualifications for going after new projects. And I asked our practice leader, Ken, I'm like hey, where's that first project I worked on? Is that up here? Because I, I didn't see it. And uh, and he's like, yep, it's right over there. And it was it was this little nursing addition that we did at uh, San Bernardino, which is a hmm. CSU. Actually, no, it's not CSU. It's Cal State San Bernardino. And uh very first project. And the, and the reason they had me work on it was because I had just come from a place that we did basically it's like store fixtures and an interior uh, design for like sports and skateboarding and stuff like that. So we did design all the way to manufacturing of basically built-in furniture nice. and stuff. And so <laughs> this project had a huge component of that. And I was actually in the K-12 studio at the time, and this is a higher ed project. And it was the very first project that I did. I guess it was kind of like a foreshadowing of where I was going to end up in the in the firm at least 10 years out. But it was kind of fun to see that up on the wall as part of the statement of qualifications of, you know, this is something we do. So it was like a bunch of nursing stations. It was for training nurses who were going through the nursing program at Cal State San Bernardino. And and it had this oval desk in the middle with computers all around it where everybody, it's not a desk, it's like, it's like stations. And so it was like this giant built-in casework total custom casework thing. And that was my very first design project when I came back to HMC. That was kind of kind of neat to see. And then thinking of through all the scope of all the different projects that I've worked on, you know, there were some competitions in there, real pie in the sky ideas stuff. And then there's like that first one, just real nuts and bolts and getting down into the details of it to, to where I am now. And going through, I guess this kind of leads me into the next topic, which was I was just thinking about the different positions and titles that I've held throughout 10 years going through the design track in our company. And HMC is probably not unlike most firms, at least medium to large size firms, where there's tracks and titles that lead you as you're professionally developed throughout the time that you spend there. And so I started out, I think I started out as a, I want to say a designer too. Uh, I actually don't remember my first title. But when I was I was thinking, you know I used to be at h m c too so Neil, you might be able to speak to this a little bit too, since this is your second stint at the company that you're working for as well, but I started out way back then as an intern, so I've basically gone at h m c from intern to senior designer, but I don't think I would have been able to do that if I would have stayed there in those gap years, and I was gone for a good amount of time, seven eight, nine years, something like that, and so I went off and did a bunch of other things, but I don't think that I would have become a designer if I would have stayed there because everybody gets trained in design in school, but we all know that that is a very small percentage of actual positions in architecture companies. Right. Right. Especially medium to large yeah. size companies. It's a very small percentage of the overall population. I mean, it's maybe 10%. Or less. It's probably less. It's yep. probably 5%. Yep. You know, it just depends. And so when you think about, I think this is just kind of an interesting thing. It was like I had to leave to come back as a designer because I learned a lot of skills and other people left in the meantime, and then I came back in and got hired in that position, and then I've worked my way up from there. But I don't, like I was saying, I don't know. I It's possible that I would have become a designer, but I don't know because there, there are so few positions in that track, if you will. And so I guess what I was going to say about we're not unlike other firms, is that we have a, a design track, a management track, and a technical track. And that's kind of how they divide things up. And something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is not kind of making people right. fit within right. a column, especially nowadays where so there are so many things that you can do in architecture. You're not just going to be a designer or a manager or a project architect there are so many other things now with computational design and interiors and lighting and it doesn't matter there's so many things that you could and so what i what i started what i'm starting to think about now and try to put together kind of a framework is identifying people based on their skills and then kind of trying to match those up with opportunities so either either opportunities for professional development or real project opportunities that people need experience with so I don't know what you guys think about that generally, but I just think it's kind of an interesting thing to think about and maybe reframe how we've always done it. Because architecture is so steeped in tradition, like this is how we've done it, this is how we're going to do it, that sometimes it just takes a completely different perspective to start to break down those old rules that maybe don't anymore. Are you also anymore. using this as a tool to maybe frame how you go
2: after projects and staff them in your totally. RFP responses.
1: Yes. Because those typically end up being yeah. the same people all the time because they're the ones with right. the experience. So, so because they have the experience, they go I mean, on the you're proposal also going after
2: some high level projects and things like that, that they want to see experience. They want to understand that, the people, the team that's going to be servicing them is the right team, the qualified team, the team with experience and And this yeah. is a good way to chart that as well,
1: yeah, I mean, Neil, with your previous experience did did when you came back, are you doing something completely different than when you were before? Mm,
0: not really, and I think part of that reason is that the way our firm works, we don't work on the scope or size of projects that you guys do in your university work or school work, and so the projects are Maybe smaller, and that's not true for everybody, right? But the way our firm is kind of set up is is more in market sectors. So we have people working on commercial stuff, or what we call, I think, neighborhood residential or multifamily residential. That the project scopes are getting bigger, but more back to what you were saying, the track I was on, and the, maybe the way the firm kind of always worked was more, and I. I've I've described this before as maybe project manager driven, and what I mean by that is when I started, I don't know, I was like drafter one and drafter two, drafter three, or whatever the, the terminology was, and I kind of worked up along that path to eventually managing my own project. So not only was I maybe managing maybe me and two one or two other people, but I was also doing Part of that a percentage of the drawings, I should say, and so probably what's different now from when I had left was I I probably spent more time drafting on projects back then than I do now. Mm-hmm. But I was still in a level yeah. of essentially like a you know high level job captain slash project manager at the time, where I had several clients of my own, and they would call and we would do projects together, and I. That's sort of what I was doing. And now since I'm back, I'm kind of doing the same thing. Although coming back this time, I'm an architect and that's where I'm at. And they have higher levels there, senior architect, senior this or whatever. I'm not there yet. But to me, that's it's sort of a title. I think you had mentioned to us offline before when we were kind of talking, exploring topic ideas, that it does the title match, say, the skill level? And for me, at least right now, I'm titled as an architect, and that's that's what my title is. And yet what I'm doing is very similar to what I was doing. In my case, it was a 14-year gap between when I was there the first time and and coming back. Uh, And so I'm essentially kind of doing the same thing. I'm managing projects, and now at a level where I've got three or four people working for me, uh, to, to do these different projects. And so it's, it's not that different for me, but I had risen to a point, maybe this is where it was different from you, for you is I spent almost eight years there before. And when I left, I was already at the level of basically managing projects with my own clients. And so when I've come back, I've kind of slipped back into
1: that sort of role for them as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a natural progression, right? to To draw less the longer you've been in the unless lane. you're unless is you're on a option? track.
0: <laughs>
1: well, I mean, it. maybe it is for some
0: people, but some people maybe not. It, it certainly is has been for me, and I'm at the point now where I'm perfectly fine with that.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, part of it too is just the sp- <laughs> yeah, because it that's always the struggle, right? Is staying involved in projects and drawing things and making things and versus managing processes. So it's like, I, I feel like that's a struggle for a lot of people who who are getting up into leadership positions who still want to be involved in projects. And then there's like this tug of war going on because the leadership is a full-time job. There's so much to do and so much to to be mindful of and, and watching over like the, the health of the company versus getting so deep into a project that it's hard to have an eye on both at the same time. Yeah. So so I think that that's why what I mean by that's kind of a natural progression because I I feel like if you really are moving into leadership if you're not moving into leadership then it's probably not a, a progression there where you're going to be doing less over time. But if you are, then you're going to be I think kind of naturally doing other things to ensure the wellness of the company versus the The drawing. I'm somewhere in between right now because I'm still very heavily involved
0: in the projects and on not only on design level, but production level as well, making decisions as a team about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And on the design, I mean, there's, there's definitely times with the types of projects I'm working on right now where we're designing them together and we do it as a team or one, you know, two of us. And that, that's a lot of, fun. Collaborate. We, yes, we collaborate exactly. And I enjoy the <laughs> hell out of that. So I don't want to leave that right. part of it. I do. I, yep. so I'm, I'm a little in between and you know, it's working. It's kind of crazy sometimes. And there's definitely at times where I have to let some of that go. It's like, Hey, go. But I, the way I approach it and the way I, um, I'm trying to think the right term, um, Give it to the uh, or kind of the way I, I try and um, have the team see it is this is also their opportunity to do some design work, right? It's like here's your opportunities, and we kind of I, I almost want to make it a little bit of a joke is that we all we do in, in school is design, 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 design. We learn how to design, and then we get out and we don't do any design. And so the joke is, hey, guess what? You get to do design. This is what you went to school for, and but to, to you give mean it the to them
2: stuff. Oh, you're
1: the fun doing stuff. The fun stuff. Oh no! Now you get to do the fun <laughs> stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You get to put your ideas, your fragile ideas, up on the wall and have people rip them down, and, and you get to be vulnerable. That's and, fun, and, right? And now, and now you're getting paid <laughs> for it, so you know, it's
0: a little better. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I still try and keep in that in both worlds. Uh, at the same time, it, which can be a little frantic. It is It is really fun. Just, to... But it's not much different since you it's... were talking about what you've been doing for 10 years, and I, I won't go into all mine, but when you're on your own or working as a sole practitioner, you're doing all of those things, right? Not only are you right. the health <laughs> concerned about the health of the firm, but you have to do the design work, you have to do the contracts, you have to do the uh, managing of the project in general and also uh the contractors and subs and you know you you have the whole gamut of all of that and so for me i'm i'm taking all of those skills that i learned for seven plus years on my own and now applying it to where i'm at now i think definitely you you mentioned you were on a different you weren't sure if you would become a designer if you had stayed there i feel like when I left and then have come back, I've come in with a very different perspective on what, how we should do things or what we do. Right. Totally. And I don't think I would have that perspective if I had
2: stayed there the whole time. But somehow is it harder sometimes, especially like the, the first job after working for yourself for so long, how hard is it to like, kind of like let go of the control that you used to wield as a sole practitioner and let other people help you or let other people do things that normally you would do. That is a, that's a
0: good good question. I think to a certain extent I had gotten to a point in my own firm where I actually needed help. And that was, I mean, people can go back and listen to that episode where we talked about that a little bit and, I'll I'll research it and maybe have a link for that in the show notes. But it, it's it's so to answer your question. Dawn of he, Pan. Dawn and Pan, that was it. I think I needed that help anyway, so actually having that help is a little bit of a stress relief for me. Is that I, I needed to go
1: the You know you can rely on yeah. other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Well that's yeah. good. But you you gotta admit, or at least it was with me, that it was still kinda hard to let go of control only because you were so reliant on yourself to make sure everything happened that you, that I sort of still felt like I needed to do that. And it really needed to take that first firm that I worked for after working for myself that to kind of almost beat that out of me is rely on your team, rely on others, you know, let them help you out. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to stay there till midnight every single day, things like that, that it it was, for me, it was, it was tough, a tough transition, but it happened. And I I actually think that I'm far better for it to be able to like actually help. And And that's what kind of worked me toward being more on kind of mentoring and things like that, that was able to kind of say, okay, look, you have other people helping you let them do it. Stop trying to overwork yourself. Stop trying to kill yourself on something that literally other people can do.
0: Yeah. There Mm -hmm. definitely was an adjustment period. There were some things that I think for what hit me the most was I was concerned about being efficient, very efficient when you're on your own. Right. Because there's only so many hours in the day and you have to be in you. And that influences your decisions like How much time do I spend making this, making sure that something's on the right layer? Let's put it that way. If it prints okay, it's fine. Move on, right? And I think I I had an adjustment period at, at the office when I first started back again about worrying about making sure things were done just right technically, you know, or in the computer, right? Well, yeah, because somebody else has got to pick it up and understand it. And and so, but yeah, so that, that was probably my most difficult thing to try and understand that, okay, certain people have what they want to do and they want to make sure it's perfect and, and you let them do that. And so part of my job is to make sure that I manage everybody's skills with appropriate tasks and give them a bit of a stretch at the same time. So that keeps it interesting for them. So it was slipping more back into that role and understanding that that was probably the adjustment period that I went through. But understanding what their skills were and
2: then mentoring those skills and letting them grow. I was going to say I didn't want to derail it from what we were originally talking about. But it is kind of interesting to see where how we transition from working on our own to working for a firm that they put us in leadership positions where we do have to work on helping develop other people's experience and skills so that they can fit into this working their way up from intern to architect, to designer, to principals and things like that. And so it it just, I, I just remembered how the, the, interestingly difficult transition only because I guess I was a little hypercritical of the way that I was like, oh, I'd never do it that way. You know, you could be right. more efficient if you did it this way. And it took me, it really took me, um, a little bit of time just to get over the, get over myself, I guess, in a way,
1: um, <laughs> how you knew yeah. it. Yeah. You could do yeah. it all right. That, that I think that's a tough yes. transition for a lot of people because they, they know, right. you know, you can do it. But you don't know if they can do it, and you definitely don't know if they'll do it like you would do it. And so those lead to those people not feeling like you trust them and not feeling like they're getting opportunities and that's harmful to the culture. And
2: and that was the thing that, like I said, you know, it it really had it it was a self adjusting transition for me because I was so used to doing everything for myself. And I trusted myself to get things done, get things done correctly and efficiently or at least correctly and efficiently in my mind but
1: well i feel like it's a lot like being a father in our case right because you wouldn't do everything for your kids because if you did they would never learn how to do anything and i feel like it's exactly the same thing in the office it's like you have to let them do it you have to let them fail and and say that it's okay and we're going to do it better the next time and here's what we learn from that it's exactly the same thing it's just not as uh it's not not quite that yeah. you know i don't want to i don't want to put anybody down i want to tell everybody that they're a child but it's it's like that kind of a relationship where you have to foster and enable people to do those things so that they feel like they have the space to try it out or even to try something new that you don't know and i think that's kind of getting back to my original thesis here of we are not a title we are a collection of skills or we're a collection of of things that we're interested in and passionate about that we want to get to. Uh, and we don't necessarily. One the of the column. things
2: that I was started this new project out on is asking, like, what do you want to get out of this project? What new skills do you want to learn? What things have you not done on projects in the past that you would really like to work on and kind of help foster your experience, education and skills. And, Sitting down and just asking them, frankly, what do you want out of this project? What do you want to do? And when they're saying, well, I'd like to do some more design work or I'd like to work on detailing or this or that, you know, then that helps me when I'm setting up the task list of who's doing what and who's going to be responsible for what to kind of assigning them parts of the project that are going to help foster that growth.
1: I think that's a good just a leadership skill in general on project teams, every project can going to have different opportunities. So what can you do to get people outside of their comfort zone to stretch them? I, I've definitely witnessed that some people doing that really well in our company. And, and those are the people that stretch their team to, to take on something that they're not used to doing and being right there to catch them if they fall. But it, it that is where people can really show you that they can do whatever you ask them to do. It's happened time we and time. We have this again. really
2: gifted project architect on the team who he's unfortunately got pigeonholed a lot into doing visualization. And so he's always doing a lot of the sketchup work. And a lot of times it's pretty frustrating, not only just for him, which I'm sure it's extremely frustrating but for other team members that we have got this, this kid who's really smart, really talented and should be working on more things for his own growth, but he's kind of stuck in visualization. And sometimes that never stops, you know, even into like CDs. And one of the things that we wanted to make sure, you know, both he and I, when we were talking about it's like, how do we get you out of that and get you more involved? Mm-hmm. And, one of the things he's, he's very analytical. And I was like, how do, how do we, how do we get him into the intuitive and, and, and push him a little bit more because, you know, so he's very systematic about the way he does things and, and which is great because he's so damn to organize, which is fantastic because he's, he's task oriented and he's, he's organized, but you know, I, I kind of want him to, to loosen up a little bit and, and, and have fun with design and, um and really get in there and do some things. And I, th- I think that, This is just the first step. This project is just the first step in kind of getting him to be, because I think with him being involved with visualization, he's also a really talented designer. Unfortunately, he's never had the opportunity to really dig into design. And, And I think that this is a baby step because this was a project that kind of everybody got pulled into and had already started going before a lot of us got pulled into the project and so the machine was already rolling but i think that if we can use this as a tool to kind of like push him forward then he knows what to expect the next project and the next project and then it starts to snowball into growth of where i think he can be and should be as long as he's given the opportunity and and i think that's it's absolutely where the the change in the culture of having kind of this combined architectural studio kind of having kind of this designer principal designer as kind of like a guiding tool not necessarily doing the design and letting a lot of the project team members do more design work we're setting the mechanism in place to really kind of help everybody be a far more rounded designer detailer manager all these things so i think it's i think it's in place we just need to start recognizing. And that's, that's where I was saying, sitting down and talking to them and like really kind of pulling out from them. What do you want to do? What do you want to get out of this? You know, you have a lot of good strengths that you already have a good level of experience and skill in where are your blanks? What can we do to fill in?
0: So Evan, I wanted to come back to something you mentioned earlier about skills and, and titles because, Mm -hmm. I think for firms in general, we always have to, we have to give a title to somebody, right? We have to describe in essence what their job responsibility is or level of responsibility or on that RFP. We have to say, here's this person. He is the project manager. He is the job captain. He is, or she is the principal. We have all these people and we have to identify what their roles are and That doesn't always maybe, I mean, I see project manager thrown out around a lot because it's such a large encompassing title. There's so many things you can do in there. But if you've identified somebody as drafter one or drafter two or designer one, designer two, Mm -hmm. I I guess I, I feel like it's a struggle, right? Firms have to define people in a role whether it's for pay scale or for that rfp who's the project team what are their roles and yet at the same time that doesn't always define well what they're either capable of doing now or maybe in the future right you mentioned at the beginning how you don't think you might have been on that designer track if you had stayed there right so If you get onto that and and identified, or Cormac, you were talking about the one person is just doing visualization, how do they break free of those, these
1: uh, titles that tend to anchor us into a particular role? This is exactly the nut of what I'm trying to crack. And so I'm trying to develop a tool that will allow people to kind of assess themselves and and on a categorical basis, self-assess the level that they, of time that they spend doing a particular thing. So what that does is it captures what their current skills maybe are, and then it gives them kind of the opportunity at the end of this form. And so it's not difficult. I mean, it's, it's eight different categories that, You know that, that are kind of standard. Here's the different aspects to what it takes to put together a project. What do you do, and then at the end it says, "Okay well, what else? what else do you do that that people need to know about and and right now, it's not like software type stuff, so it's not that fine grained but it's more like, do you teach or do you are you interested in leadership it's It's kind of like again kind of broad categories, but things that people need to know about and so so now you're not being defined by somebody else because i this is what i what I was finding was. You sit in your leadership sits in a staffing meeting is trying to figure out okay what's coming who are we going to put on that how much availability do they have who do we have in our in our bullpen right it's it's totally that right. scenario over and over and over again well wait And a those minute. people Did look you just at just use you know, a s-
0: sports reference <laughs> Yes whoa stuck crazy whoa stop the recorder wow mark <laughs> this down on your calendar
2: It is an office term as well though <laughs> It's a systems office firm
0: as well. Uh, okay, so that explains where Evan got the term explains. from because he's not watching baseball. Yeah, 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 he's here. totally. In no, fact, he, not a he probably analogy. thinks that's a soccer term, right? No. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. My mind was blown yeah. there. <laughs> a lot of times, we're looking at who we've got based on the their job title, right? So we know we need a project coordinator, we need a project manager, and all of those things, while are fine. At, really broad term defining, they do not tell you the skills that those people actually have. Mm -hmm. And so you could have a project manager who's actually very skilled at detailing or they're very skilled at construction administration. Whereas you could have another project manager who's never done CA. Right. And so the idea is to understand. And and I, and again, I, we kind of already know who our people are and we do have these relationships but this gives those people who we're talking about the opportunity to say who the, where they are currently. And then what I want to do is take this exact same thing, but say, okay, in the next three to five years, where do you want to be? And then look at the delta between those. So you basically have the same categories both times, but you could actually potentially see huge shifts because of people's personal interests. And then you have the ability to have a dialogue about the differential between those two things and say, I'm here. I want to get to there. How are we going to make that happen? How are we going to match that up with upcoming project opportunities? How are we going to do that uh, in our studio or firm wide? I mean, that's where the something like this gets really powerful is that we start talking about it. I mean, HMC is, uh, has nine offices and there's times where there's somebody in one office who's doing nothing and there's, the other office which is completely overloaded how do you start to balance that without going through the painful process of hiring new people you've already got talent right so how can we just better use those people in an ad hoc basis and it's hard to know because you don't you haven't worked with those people you don't trust them you don't you don't have that kind of inherent comfortability with those people because you don't work with them so at least give us something to go off where we can see you know this person's really good at Computational design. We can use that on this project. Let's try it out. Let's try that person out. And it gives you the ability to start to build teams based on need rather than just positions kind of filling in the slots.
2: That's actually a great opportunity for your firm to not only use the resources they have, but also not waste the resources that they have. Exactly.
1: Because I think it goes back to what Neil said earlier, right? You, you, Struggle to want to still be working on the projects. Right. And I guess what I mean by that is if you don't use it, you lose it.
2: Right. And But then there's the opportunity that a firm has in the case that you were talking about. Because we're starting to kind of dip our toe into doing the same thing where we're sharing resources across the three offices that we have a lot more than had been in the past. Mm-hmm like our DC office is going after larger projects that they may not have the staff for, but the Baltimore office does, or maybe the Arizona office has a little bit of, of extra time with people that can work on the project, but also have an interest in that type of project that they haven't had an opportunity to, to do in their office. Yep. And it's, and it's good. It's not necessarily just good for the person or the project or the the office. But I mean, it's honestly good for the profession because we're starting to enrich a lot more people with a lot more uh, project experience that otherwise they just wouldn't get. I mean, think about this, yeah. especially for us. So we have, we have a remote office in Austin, Texas, which is more kind of our base for sustainability. And they kind of hop between all of the other offices. And, but we have a, an, an actual office in Phoenix, Arizona, in Baltimore and in DC. Now, Baltimore and DC do tend to work on similar projects, though the Baltimore office tends to work on nationwide projects and a few international projects. Baltimore, seem, I mean, uh, DC seems to be a little bit more regional with few outliers here, but they ha- mm-hmm. kind of have similar project types. But somebody in Arizona could work on an East Coast project that otherwise they would never work on in their career. And actually, right. are going to be so much better off as a professional because now they have not just their regional work, but they've got national work in as part right. of it. And it just—I see
1: the potentials. Yeah, there's a huge potential there, and it is hard. I mean, there's no there's no denying that remote work is difficult in a creative field like this, where you really do need people's full attention for long periods of time and that's hard to do when you can't see them but i think because of technology advances this is becoming more and more of a non issue and it also does require us to trust our people right one way to do that is to understand who they are without ever having met them and so that's when something like this starts to come into play and neil back to your your thing like where you do kind of need to t- tell You need to have something that identifies what that person is or does in the company. Unfortunately, I don't see that getting any easier. I feel like the titles that are out there are only going to get more broad. And by broad, I just mean there's going to be more of them. Well, instead of maybe more of them, maybe
0: we broaden their definition by saying there's strengths in different areas you you had mentioned a project manager hasn't done ca right so maybe there's you're a project manager but you have you identify the skill level based on different categories underneath that broader term so we might have a designer or a drafter one or a drafter two or something Mm -hmm. but they have skills in visualization or something like that but not in detailing right and so it's it's almost like you're defining each each title with additional information that shows their skill level, so that you can use that skill level to either create a team with different skills, because you don't want to say create a uh, put three drafter ones on a project where none of them have they're all visualization skills, but none of them have any drafting skills or, or detailing skills, mm-hmm. right? So it's a, I like your idea of of broadening the definitions of titles with this second layer of skills so that everybody can use that to say okay I'm a project manager but I haven't done a lot of CA so that's a skill level that I need to bring up if that's your desire right and so that you could do that so it's almost like creating this category system or something underneath the lo- the title right because I still think you need to have the title. I Maybe that's just old school of me, but I do like your idea of trying to broaden that with skill level because that helps broaden the conversation. It seems every review you're in, you're talking about what you want to do, what's the skill levels you want to improve on or something like that, but it's not officially part of say your title. It's nothing that's kind of documented. So if you had created this documentation for that, I think that would be very valuable to firms
1: to use. I think I think what happens here is we have this internal language that is uh, semi agreed upon across the entire profession, which allows us to do comparative analysis on what people's pay should be. Right. And so so you can compare a PM at Air St. Gross and you can contr- you can compare a, a PM at Dahlin and you can compare a PM at HMC. Mm-hmm and we kind of need that. And so this is kind of eye-opening for people in school potentially like there's all of this stuff, this layer of stuff that we're kind of trying to wade through. And on like a parallel universe, there's like a designer who is totally passionate about regenerative design. And then you've got another one who's totally passionate about maybe computation and programming. And they are not alike at all, these two people. Let's just say for this example. But going back to that kind of thick layer of comparative analysis, they're designers, right, to the industry. Mm-hmm. Right. We need a designer on this project. Right. Right. And so I don't know how you kind of square all this because there are people who I I would never want to be a project manager. I will only be a designer. But but really there's so much more nuance to it than that. And I guess that's kind of where people are getting stuck. And like you said, Neil, maybe you're just stuck with this this title thing because and what i mean by they're going to get broader is like people want something that says what they actually do not just a broad categorization because because it's not good enough. Well, how do you No, it's okay. I, I, I'm, I I'm I'm thinking out loud right now because I don't know how you make it all work yet, but I think that it's happening. There's tons of computational designers out there and there's tons of architect fours. And nobody knows what either one of those things are outside of our industry. And so when you list them on an RFP, (laughs) you have to have this blurb, right? And that's where it starts to get personal. And that's where you start to talk about their relationships and their experience and stuff like that. And I guess part of it is you're actually going to have to get more personal with everybody because that's really what this is about. This is about breaking free of the categories and being good at a lot of different things. And that's what makes you who you are. And this project has these opportunities and needs. And so we're going to place you there because you're the best fit. And and what that does is it, it can either pull, and this is kind of, we've always had this, you either get real deep and expert in something and you go all in for that one thing, or you're a really well-rounded architect and you can do a lot of different things. And depending on the need, you could play a lot of different roles. I don't think that's going to change, but I, I don't see us sticking with, three or five different titles anymore. I really see it getting a lot more nuanced than that and allowing people to express who they are through some weird ass title. And and that's going to be, that's going to have to be okay.
2: Yeah. Listening to you talk about that, I was thinking, how do you quantify? So, and and I'm, I'm thinking out loud now because I'm trying to formulate how I'm asking this question, but so what we do is, you know, it's more of role-based, um, experiences that we've, we've broken down everybody's title and what their responsibilities are for each project. What does the project, uh, or what does the principal in charge do on the project? What does the project manager do on the project? What does the project architect and project designer, I'm you know, mm-hmm. kind of going down the list do on the project. And then so on, all the way down. And so it's transparent that everybody on the project knows what everybody's role is. They know what the QAQC guy does. They know what the spec writer does. They know what the sustainability person does. They know what all of these things are. And so if they've got an idea of what, if they want to either move up within the titles or, I can't believe I just did air quotes, but... uh, (laughs) They just, they, if they want to move up within the titles or if they want to do other things within the project, they know what the responsibilities are that they need to do to perform that other job or that other role. And so we're able to quantify what you do on the project, you know, based off of the title and your responsibilities to have that title. But if you want to be a project architect, or if you want to be a project designer or a project manager, these are the other skills that you need to possess to be able to efficiently do this job task. And I think that's helpful in people gauging their level of knowledge of contribution to the project. Do I have the skill set to be able to do a project designer's role? Do I have the skill set to be able to do this, you know, spec writer's role? And then it's up to them to really kind of ask or seek out the ability to gain that, that knowledge and that experience. And so I'm I'm just curious how in kind of like this analysis that you're, you're looking at how you guys are doing that. I mean, do you quantify each person's role or each title with a set of responsibilities or is it just kind of, okay, well you can do detailing. So you're going to be, architect one or, or architect two type thing or draft drafting one or two or whatever. We, I don't know if we necessarily have roles specific to that, but right. Cause really there's kind of like, I guess it's more of like a senior project architect who sort of manages the consultants, the staff on the project team within the office and kind of like all of the other roles within it. And then there's the project manager who kind of, Manages the project architect and the client, and then there's you know kind of going up from there. And so we, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to how to figure how how to ask you the question of how you quantify the gaining of all of these skills and knowledges in your office, kind of like how we're doing with ours, is setting these kind of like rules and, and kind of a template of this is the knowledge that you need to perform this particular task or role. I
1: think it's hard to, yeah, it's real hard to answer that question because I think a lot of people do it differently, but, and I, this topic is getting way into the weeds. I don't, I know. Uh, Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's probably not too interesting for a lot of people, but I think that a lot of mentorship needs to happen. And that's, what's nice about these larger projects is you do have teams where there's a lot of crosstalk and there's lots of opportunities for learning. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think a good, role of a PM on a project and management is a skill. It's not something you get just by, you don't become just by working there for long enough. It's not a title. (laughs) It's not just a a good manager looks for opportunities for people and gets them out of their comfort zone and helps them perform those things so that they gain the experiences. And so like we don't have our senior PA managing consultants. We have our project coordinator doing that. If we think that they're up to the task and can do it well, or there's a good enough opportunity and a safe enough environment for them to do that and and learn the ropes as they go along. Mm. So we're trying to kind of infuse those things that have typically been reserved for more seasoned people to lower mm-hmm. people on that project totem pole, if you want to, you know, I hate to say it that way, but I know, people I know. With, with less experience so that they get it. Otherwise, if people just keep doing the same things... Then that, that pigeonholing thing is what kills morale, it kills culture, and they go somewhere else and they, so that they can come back later as a designer or whatever they want to be. <laughs> and I mean that's really the, the goal is to avoid that. There's plenty of opportunities in these firms right. to do anything you want. You can't always convince management that that is the case. And you can't always convince individuals that that's the case because they've seen bad behavior or it's never been modeled for them. And so they feel like, to to really do what I want, I've got to go somewhere else. And that's a shame. I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to avoid. Right. Right. Agreed. That sounds like a great spot to end this. (laughs) (laughs) This Yeah, it, it probably is.
2: I
0: think so. All right. Well, hey, before we go, we'd like to thank our episode sponsors. First, we have RCAT. Check out all the features they offer at ARCAT.com. Next, we'd like to thank Hagar Companies. Make sure you visit them at booth 907 at Construct, which is being held September 14th through 15th in Providence, Rhode Island. And make sure you let them know you heard about them on the Arcuspeak podcast. We'd appreciate that. And if you listen to the first part of the show, there's a little uh, secret in there that uh, you might win something. So, uh, rewind back and listen it's to that. It's worth your money. It's, yeah. worth, it's worth your time. Listen to yep. that. Worth exactly. We'd also like to thank HMC Architects for their support. To learn more or become part of their story, visit them at hmcarchitects.com. And remember to visit our website at archispeakpodcast.com for links to our catalog of episodes and to sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to everything we mentioned in the episode. And between the episodes, join the conversation on our Facebook page or Twitter. Links to everything can be found at the arcuspeakpodcast.com And thanks for uh, listening, everyone. And make sure you stay subscribed, and we'll catch you next time.
3: All right, see ya. See you guys. I join the choir to sing. They're all competing for some other thing. I join the choir to sing. I join the choir to sing. They're all competing for some other thing. I join the choir to sing.